Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And so, ultimately, with this offense moving forward, like, that's kind of the question Ron's got to ask. It's like, what are we looking for? How do we get it in terms of a rhythmic offense that achieves the goals that I want to achieve as a head coach? If I want to be this run-first, you know, time-of-possession team, can we find a quarterback who can operate with that, uh, can have some of the throws down the field, it's going to be smart and diligent with the football because it's obviously another huge part of what you said at the top. Like the number one thing is the turnovers. And clearly, uh, as Ron acknowledged on Monday, like they thought Carson could be that guy uh, after his year last year where he had, what, 20, 27 and 7, 29 and 7 yeah. uh, in touchdown interceptions. And, uh, and it hasn't been him in this offense to say the least. Uh, in terms of the O line play, how did they, how well, did they hold we're, up? We're, or, yeah, I just want to elaborate one, one quick thought there. So another thing that, when Taylor came into the into the offense, they got into kind of this intermediate passing game, mm-hmm. and they get away from like these deep drop back shots, which I, I think Scott wants to get to because that's what like the Air Coriel offense is kind of built around. Like, get the ball down the field, open your intermediate stuff up with that off of the big play. But with Taylor, they got into a lot of mesh, a lot of quick game, a lot of different stuff. And again, like you, you said, the offense was on rhythm. And a little bit of it is because Taylor was just getting the ball where it's supposed to go. And I look at Scott, and again, that's another kind of weird thing that when Carson's in there, you know, I don't know why, but you get away from the play action, which is good for you. You get away from kind of running it out of the the running play action out of your run formations, right? You, you All these different things you get away from. You got away from duo. You only ran it twice in the game or three times in the game. Then you get away from the intermediate stuff, and it's like, why did you leave all that? Like that stuff is not as high. It's not as it's not going to like you know you're not going to win the lottery with that stuff, but you're also not going to go broke with that stuff because it's more consistent. It's a little bit easier for the quarterback to digest that and execute yeah. that consistently. So it, it's it's weird because it's like three factor. You know, it's like you're away from the play action, you're away from your best runs, and you're away from the 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 drop back stuff that you've been really good at this year. Like, I don't understand. And again, I don't understand why that is. I, I don't understand it. My guess is Carson doesn't like being under center. Maybe. Um, and they don't like him under center because his footwork isn't very good under center. Mm-hmm. That's that's my best guess. And that's kind of one of those things that sometimes I feel like it's a forestry situation where he <laughs> coaches. And I, it was funny. I was actually talking about this with Rachel last night um, because she is like, 
my wife is someone who didn't watch any football before me and now is stuck in this <laughs> this incredibly immersed world. And so we'll talk about certain things and she just asks these very obvious questions, which I really appreciate because she's an incredibly insightful person. And so she, she'll just be like, well, why don't they do this? And I'm like, that is a great question. They could use you in the building to ask the obvious questions that they should have much better answers to. And one of those is like, Hey, why don't they like, how does that happen? How do they only get Terry X number of targets? Like, isn't he awesome? Didn't they just pay him a bunch of money? Yes. Yes, they did. Why don't they get, get him the ball? And it's like, well, because the coverage, it's like, f figure it out, man. Like you paid him $70 million because he's awesome. You paid Curtis because he's awesome. Like figure out how to get those guys the football. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, Carson doesn't like gun. Okay, well, everyone else does. And I understand you want to make your quarterback comfortable, but it's not like he's incompetent out of the gun. And by the way, or under center, and by the way, these longer play action fakes, even if his footwork's a little off, will make his life a lot better. And, oh, by the way, by the way, number two, it's not like he's been killing it from shotgun this year anyway. So I, I think it's like things like that where you lose huge chunks of your offense because you're focused on this one detail and you let that one thing override all the other more important data points. And I think that happens frequently in a lot of sports. Uh, um, and I think it happens a lot of times in business where like chief executives who aren't as locked in on the details might miss something. Like it is the kind of thing that happens in the world all of the time in many, many different places in many different varieties. It is just so painfully obvious in football because you have scoreboards with wins and losses and you have very trackable statistics from targets to yards to whatever for a guy like Terry, let's say, um, where you come out of a game, you're just like, how did he not get the ball more? Like, how, how does that happen? Because it would seem like if your job is to score points, getting your best players the ball would be the primary focus. And instead, it winds up being something more like no, nah, well, we can't do that because Carson would have to be under center and that's we prefer him in Maybe. the game. Maybe. You know, it's stuff like that. And it's just like those those signals yeah. get crossed a lot. You know, it's interesting. You reminded me of a story. Uh, I remember when I was in Atlanta, I got to talk to, to Matt Ryan quite a bit. And Matt Ryan's an awesome dude. Really, like, charismatic leader. Like, exactly what you want at the position. Matt, you know? please like, retire so you can come on the podcast. What? Did I say that out loud? <laughs> really, just really, Play as really long good as you dude. Want. And I remember him in the meeting was, uh, with the offensive coordinator. Um, he's the head coach of Texas now. Maybe just got fired. Uh, it doesn't matter. Sorry. And Sark, yeah, and Sark would be in the meeting, and be going over stuff, and and Matt would just be like, "Hey, man, take that out. I don't want to do that. Take it out. I don't like that." And Sark wouldn't even like wouldn't even think twice, just throw the paper on the ground. Okay, cool, we're done with that. But like for me, I was like, that actually pairs with this other thing. So I remember sitting down with Matt at lunchtime. We were talking about Kyle, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and Kyle it was, and he was like, "Oh, I used to have wars with Kyle." And I was like, "Well, why?" Well, they're both very strong personalities. I think that's obvious. But Kyle, essentially, the crux of the argument, would force him to do things that he didn't want to do for the benefit of the offense. And, right. you know, it made it made Matt uncomfortable. And But it, I think it also, that's the year that Matt was like the MVP of the league. Yeah, it was the know? MVP of the league, and they went to the Super Bowl. And if it wasn't for Kyle losing his mind up 28-3 <laughs> um, and some bad luck on top of it, they yeah. would have won the Super Bowl. By the way, Sark well, is still at Texas. Uh, yeah. So good right. job, Sark. Yeah, good job, Sark. So... I look at that and I say, like, that is something that, you know, I, I, we talk about Kyle a lot, but that's, like, where my experience resides is with him. And, like, so he would do stuff like that. He'd push the push good players to do stuff they weren't necessarily comfortable with. Like, I remember Mohamed Sanu, like, didn't start for a little bit because 
Kyle wanted him to block and Muhammad didn't want to do it. So, you know, when that happened, it was like a big deal. But that was his vision. If you didn't abide by the vision, it didn't matter how good you were, you were going to get there. The other thing he would do is he would be very fastidious about finding ways to get people targets. Very fastidious. Like he would say, how do we formation this to get Julio here and line him up in this position and short motion this so he's the third guy? And that was his deal. And so, again, looking at, like Terry, you know, the coverage dictating where the ball goes. That's true. That's 100% accurate. But Kyle would take it a step further and be like, in this situation, they're going to be in this coverage, we're going to be in this formation, and we're going to call this play because I know this coordinator that well. Right, because you're trying – well, you're calling the play because you're anticipating what the defense is going to do. So, like, if you think the defense is playing cover two, so you're calling this play to beat cover two, why not have your – primary read or whichever you know if you think hey they're probably going to shut this down let's make it so that terry is the third read um you know because we actually think that's where the ball is going to go based off situation whatever right there are ways and the other thing too is like hand him the bleeping ball (laughs) like you know terry gets 12 yards on a reverse in the first half and you just go hey you know what you could do run that again you know, yeah. and, and there's things like that where it's just like, okay, well, at the end of the day, the most important thing is getting these guys the ball. Um, let's just simplify it. Let's just hand it to them. Like, let's yeah. let's run some more screens. Let's run some whatever. And, you know, I feel bad for Scott on a, on a little bit because, like, he tries to get that screen going to Jahan in the second half and Jahan drops it and the yeah. whole drive dies. Um, so that was, that was a pretty key play in the game because it felt like if the commanders were ever going to get some rhythm, like, that was the drive. They had started to move it a little bit. They're coming off the, the drive to end the third quarter. Jahan drops it, and that's basically, you know, that's your ball game because the offense never looks, you know, like it has any signs of productivity again. So, um these things are hard. Um, and that, that's something that I, I think is obviously always worth stepping back and saying is like, these things are hard. These things are very convoluted in the heat of the moment during a game, but it's why you need systems in place to, to, to have checks on you. It's why you need, you know, our, uh, you know, our common sense coach, if you will, to come in and be like, Hey, uh, we should get the ball to Terry more. And that person's job is to do that on Monday and then on Wednesday, and then on Friday, and then when he's got no targets through the first quarter on Sunday to tap Scott on the shoulder between quarters and have like a little piece of paper that says Terry targets with a big zero on it, just put it in front of him. Like, I don't know if that thing exists uh, or or doesn't and and how many teams it exists on or doesn't. It just seems like that would be a smart thing to do. And obviously this offense has struggled at times this year because they have not been able to get their playmakers the ball and instead have relied on... Uh, a scheme that hasn't always been executed super well for a variety of reasons that we've talked about on probably a hundred podcasts uh, since April when we watched. So True. there's that. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I just, I was just thinking about Justin Jefferson up in Minnesota. Yeah, and how they, you don't get that many. Or Cooper Cup in LA, mm-hmm. you don't get that many touches without game planning that right fastidiously. So I, I just wanted to call attention to that one for more sure. time. All right, last thing quickly on the offense, um, because this will also lead into the other discussion that I want to have on the offensive side moving forward uh, and really kind of set up Friday's pod, although by then we'll know who the starting quarterback is. Um, But how did the offensive line play? Um, And how much of that has to do with the play calling versus, you know, their own individual performances against a somewhat talented uh, defensive line in Cleveland, certainly on the edges? Dude, I think they did a great job. I mean, they did a really nice job. And I think, uh, you know, Cosby was probably... 
I think one of the most this is one of the most more impressive performances he's had because he's playing guard for some of it. He's playing tackle. In the two minute he's playing tackle, he's totally locking down to JV. But I know he has a false start there, which is that great. But his ability to kind of set and you, you just all the things you liked about him coming out were on display. His power, his aggressiveness, his footwork, you know, like someone runs a spin move, he spins with it, and it just looks like he's a dancing bear out there. So that again gives you confidence saying like maybe they don't need a tackle, maybe they can get away with a, a, a better guard situation next year in the draft. If this is kind of a weak year for tackles, you know, we were talking about drafting yeah. tackles and it's not, doesn't appear to be the strongest tackle draft on, on record. So maybe you don't want to waste those resources there, but that was good to see. Um, I thought Leno actually had a really, really, really solid plan for miles Garrett kind of working this, this angle set to a jump set. So getting Garrett to start his rush and then jumping him once he was getting ready to throw his move was really, really nice. And obviously, you're going to give up pressures to one of the best defensive players in football, but he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, Wes is very physical. Norwell did a good job in pass protection. I think they, they blocking and pulling, they did a great job. So uh, obviously, it wasn't a perfect sheet, but it's very hard to be a perfect sheet and compared to what they have been doing. I think they you got to give them their their flowers when they have a game like this what happened in the run game where they went robinson was averaging like seven three a carry in yeah. the first half um at one point i whenever it was that they went for it on fourth and one with the stupid pitch play um so, to, okay all right everyone just pumped i've been getting a ton of heat about this like that's not a, that's okay we're gonna talk about this okay okay we got, we got like five minutes we got five minutes we got, okay yeah i mean i got i got time so to me that is not a bad call that's a well-designed play. It's not a bad call. Everyone's expecting you to run it inside, like some type of dive. Like So that is the same exact play that they ran with Brian Robinson versus Atlanta that went for 20 yards. You guys remember that? It was like fourth and one or third and one. It's a pitch play on the edge. They call it truck. You pull the tight end out. You pull the tackle out. You get numbers to the perimeter. It ends up being a big play. It's the same run they had against um, – San Fran on like a second and eight. It's it's a good play, and the way they designed it was really good. The issue is in the execution. Terry McLaurin, who is maybe the most consistent player on the roster, doesn't block the safety. The guy that's literally standing right in front of him, and like he gets a little confused, whatever. But I mean, if I'm the receiver coach, I'm like baffled on the sideline because the the first rule on truck is you buy if you're if you're in that little bunch. So it's Curtis. He's going to block the defensive end. The next receiver blocks the guy over the over Curtis, who's Terry. Terry's going to block the guy over Curtis. And for whatever reason, with the motion, there's a guy traveling with Bates. He says, I have to block that guy. So he puts hand on the safety and then goes and blocks the, the, the linebacker or whoever's running with Bates. Mm -hmm. And that's the guy who ends up making the tackle. Curtis gets 5,000 gold stars because he has an excellent down block on Miles Garrett. They are to the perimeter. Leno and Bates to the perimeter with like two guys out in front of them. That is going to be, if not a touchdown, it's going to be a huge play. So I see that and I say, golly, everyone says it's again, it's hindsight bias. It didn't work. Therefore, it's a bad play. It's a well-designed play. You got the look you wanted. It should have been a, it should have been like a 30 yard gain. Here's, I don't here's my a, counter. What you're going to say. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Matt, let's mark that to make sure we believe it. Um, <laughs> here's my counter. You're running it with Jonathan Williams and Carson Wentz. Who I would have had liked how the, many reps in practice together? I would have liked probably B. I, I, I agree. I would have liked B. Rob in there, but B. Rob, like we talked about, 
and came out. Of, I don't know if it's ever come out, but really oh, no, banged he's, up. He was banged up. Yeah. So he also maybe, just gotten a ton of yards. And yeah. by the way, and he had been out the previous play because I, they showed him on camera on the broadcast. Yeah, that's right. That's running, running back on the onto the field and they pulled him back out. God, and yeah, at that point, I'm going, no, 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 no. So that's thing one. Thing two is it's like an awkward, weird pitch situation. And it is in a situation where Brian Robinson at the time was is averaging seven. I, I feel like he bobbled it a little bit. The timing got a little bit oh. off. Obviously, what you're saying is the bigger issue. Um, right. And maybe I I'm misremembering it. it. Um, but I just also, remember it looking yeah. very disjointed. It might have been because there was pressure immediately because Terry didn't block the right guy. I will yeah. give you that. And, and I'm not saying you're obviously all your analysis is correct. I'm actually now very excited to go back and pull the film and do a little advanced yeah. edit that I'll throw on YouTube uh, at, at youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. Great. So we, we'll be able to see all this and people will still get mad uh, in the comments section despite the fact that the film is staring them in the face. But it's an it's a probability possibility type of thing. Is it well drawn up? Yes. Is it the simplest solution to achieve the goal. Absolutely not. And like that is, the, I think, the larger frustration where it's like, hey, you know what Brian Robinson's doing? Averaging 7-3 a carry. That is cemented in my mind because I tweeted it at the time. I looked it up. And I was like, isn't he yeah. averaging? And he a was. 7-3 at the time. How hard is it to turn around and hand him the ball? And it's because they haven't done that consistently that it's frustrating. So yes, in isolation, this might have been an actually a great call. And it might have been something where if your most reliable player doesn't have a brain fart, which is something you don't count on because he's no. your most reliable player, that it works out not just to achieve the goal, but to achieve far more than the goal. But sometimes simplicity is the best thing. And for Carson to have this kind of awkwardy pitch to your backup running back, who's actually your third string running back, who when they probably haven't had almost any reps together, and your your good guy, your best guy, I don't want to call it because Jonathan Williams is a good player, your best guy is available and you don't use him in the most critical of situations on a routine basis, to me that that speaks to a larger problem of them in short yardage consistently making bad decisions. And it gets to the point where if I'm Ron Rivera, that's got to affect my decision to go for it or not as well. If we consistently fail in short yardage, then the numbers, the data, the analytics don't apply to us. We are bad in that situation. We should stop trying. We have the best punter on the planet behind us. Just kick the ball away. Yeah. So I will also say this. A uh, couple things. I think you bring up great points. Like what? It, I think it helps you. You said you, you have... didn't give a bleep what I was going to say, and now I got some good points. Let's well, go. I'll, I'll say this. I do think B-Rob should be in the game there. Yeah. If anything, it helps the play because they think they're going to run inside, and he's shown Correct. the ability to get to the perimeter. Two, I would also like to point out that the design of the play bringing the motion allows all the interior offensive line to get their blocks to the second level. So, again, kudos there. Also, I think good offensive play calling subverts expectation. So if you look at the San Francisco game, if you look at any time they've gone for it on fourth down, it's been like a dive right at the middle, right? The 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 the, the fourth down against San Francisco for the the for the goal the the goal mm -hmm. line situation dive quarterback sneak. I like that they're under center. the The threat of quarterback sneak is there. Yes. I like that they're uh, attacking the perimeter of the defense because they're subverting expectation, and it's one of the reasons you're able to get to the perimeter. Now, was there a uh, missed execution? Yes. Was it by one of the best players on your team? Yes. Um, do you count on that? Absolutely not. So 
I understand that. I understand that it's a little bit higher risk, but I like that it's subverting expectation. I like the design of the play. I like because it's putting your guys. This is something we haven't really seen again from the staff. You see it elevating your personnel, right? I, I mean, I think it's a good call, and I I would not. Okay. In, in I the, think it's in, a better call than I did on Sunday after hearing your explanation. Um, but it also does get to like how many reps do you think they spent on that versus how many reps I, do they have this I year at duo? You know, I agree. I agree, and I think that's the other thing. Just generally. They only ran duel like one time in the game, twice in the game. So it's like it's not like that was like a big thing for them. They put in like a new game plan run, like which is a GT, which is where they were getting a lot of yards. So kudos to Scott. But eventually, uh, the Browns figured it out and then hit it in the chin. Like it's just about like having some flexibility with your run scheme. I think it's important. Um, but I, in terms of call, you know, like if you're if you're process driven, you say good play design. It's and that, that's the other thing that I think is good about it is the position of the defenders, right? The safety is lined up inside of Terry, so if they're running an inside run, that's a hard cutoff block for him, but it's easy to block down, which again is is very very frustrating because it's like it's there. And Curtis, man, what a block on Miles Garrett! Like that that would have been me really worried. Crushes that, and so all the hard stuff was taken care of, and then that's the thing that that falls down, which is too bad. But again, I understand fans frustration. I, I do, I get it. But if you're, if you're, if you're, if you look at the process, you get checks all the way across. It's just the execution. And maybe it's because I've played in the, in the league for a long time, but like that process the players definitely certainly get some blame yeah, uh, that, for this. The process, the process of that is good by Scott. You know, and that's something that I can't always say. All right. Uh, what the initial thing that uh, I was going to ask, but we got very uh, appropriately sidetracked by a very good sidebar on that play was uh, at that point, Curtis was era. Brian was averaging like seven point, whatever a carry. Yeah. He finished with like 3.6. Yeah. What happened to the run game? Well, I do think like they, they had some success early with the game plan run that I just described, which is the GT. So you're going to pull your backside guard and tackle. The tight end's going to cut off the defensive end and you get big bodies to the front side. And they actually murdered with that. They did a really good job with that. And then they get into like this, I don't know why they like it so much. It's like a tight zone run. And they've been doing a good job calling it as a compliment to duo. So if I'm in the dot as the back and the tight ends to the right, Duo hits to the A-gap to the tight end side, okay? Mm -hmm. If it's a tight zone run, it's going to hit away from the tight end to the uh, to the, to the other A-gap, so the left A-gap in this look, right? So what happens is when you run duo, everybody runs downhill. They, they stick on blocks really nicely, and you kind of hit forward for a cloud of dust. Everyone thinks it's duo. Everyone thinks it's duo. Then you call tight zone, and you're able to kind of squeak out the front door for a big game. Obviously, a complimentary run to your duo play or duo is a complimentary one to your tight zone play. However right. you want to look at that. They just kind of swung for tight zone like a bunch. And I don't really get why they were so like infatuated with that. Um, I don't have a good reason as to why that is, but it, it wasn't as efficient for them when they got into that stuff. And then obviously Cleveland deserves credit. They figured out the GT play and they started spilling the, the, the tackle, like hitting the tackle and kind of making a big pile and there wasn't a lot of space for the running back. So adjustments by Cleveland, interesting run selection by Scott, and then not really having a counter punch off of it, I thought was uh, was disappointing. Um, let's mark down for some point in a later discussion of like why they got away from the duo counter as yeah, the basis of their offense. Um, 
Maybe they ran a little bit of counter. Out. They ran some counter, but the duo thing was surprising. But for that, that eight-week stretch where that was like their thing. Yeah. And yeah, it worked. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden they stopped doing it. And I was like, wow, look, they have a play-action game. And then no, yeah. they don't, right. um, which, is, which is disappointing.